1: For more information, visit
0: cane5.com.
1: I'm Julia Tertian, host of Radio Cherry Bomb. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey, or trot, through culinary history. And I say trot because we're going to be talking about turkeys today. And we all know about the turkey trot, don't we? Well, we'll find out about it. Turkeys are, are kind of, not kind of, they are very interesting. They are as much a cultural symbol... And of course at holiday season we all fondly remember the whether it's the Norman Rockwell ingrained paintings of the turkey on the platter surrounded by the the hungry onlookers of the family. But it is a it is a symbol of of Family reunions and sort of always, certainly the centerpiece of Thanksgiving or Christmas and/or Christmas. And it's as, as I said, as much a cultural symbol as well as it is a multi-billion dollars today. Who doesn't know the name Butterball? Mm, mother, there. And let's go beyond Butterball. Ah, we certainly can. It is a bird, a dinner, a commodity, and a national icon. And the turkey has become. As American as the bald eagle. And to talk about this terrific bird that is a new world food is Andrew Smith, who has written the book on turkey, by the way. But it was, I mean, it was a while back, right? That was, we're talking 2006. 12, yeah, 2006. Not a new book, but he certainly did his research, so he can certainly talk about it. He wrote a book called Turkey, an American Story, the title of our show today. Andrew is a culinary is a food historian who has taught at who has been teaching at the new school since nineteen ninety six in New York City. He has written and I'm going a number. We're Can at you know? twenty
1: six now. Twenty six or, or edited, let's be <laughs> okay. honest.
2: Written or edited over twenty six books, including the Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America. And uh, He has written hundreds of articles in journals and 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 whatnot and whatnot. Okay, and has been on different television shows about about food and food history. And in fact, his most recent venture has been a consultant and on air personality in a new series called
1: "Eat Eat the Story of Food," National Geographic's that will air this. Friday night, okay. Saturday, so, and Sunday, which is November 22, 23, right. 24. Right, so depending
2: whatever. on when you're listening to this show, check National Geographic. I'm sure it will replay on demand if you have one of those fancy TVs. Uh, but National Geographic, if you're hearing this live, it airs tomorrow, Friday, uh, the 21st. 21st. 21st of November on National Geographic called EAT. The Story of Food. Very excited for this series, Andrew. Congratulations. And uh, It sure was it fun. Was, yeah. It was fun putting it together. I mean, as you say, it wasn't a textbook. It wasn't a classroom. It's but it's a fun, popular s- history. Right?
1: 72 big names from uh, chefs on uh, the Food Network to um, Michael Pollan to... Uh, even academics, they had, mm-hmm. they admitted to come in and do some interviews. So it's a really great diverse diverse group of Americans that are interested in food.
2: Did you talk about turkey?
1: We did. Of oh, course. terrific. How right. can you talk about food without talking about turkey? Let's talk turkey. Let's right?
2: talk turkey. And there you go. That's something we'll talk about, too, talking turkey. Well, I mean, it is, you know, it's this new American food, as I said. It, you know, it's indigenous to the Americas. And yet, how did it land on the tables across the world? I mean, back up a little bit and and talk a little bit about the about the wild where turkeys started. Is
1: this where I get to do my three hour lecture? You do, All you right. do, and you well, do it well. Actually, the turkey is an Asian bird, and it's very closely related to the Asian pheasant. In fact, you can interbreed uh, American turkeys with uh, Asian pheasants and have live progeny. So. We do have turkey-like birds living in North America for the last several million years, but it is only in the last 50,000 years that the turkey that we know and love, we have archaeological evidence for. So uh, the turkey was a a very important bird in North America, and when um, people uh, came into North America, it was certainly one of the most important. Part, part foods that were served. It was domesticated in uh, Mexico. Uh, the Spanish ran into it um, when they conquered Mexico. They introduced it first into the, they introduced the domesticated turkey first into the Caribbean and then from the Caribbean into Spain. And it quickly took off as a very important bird. And the reason is the male turkey spreads its feathers like the male peacock and so the peacock was a very important bird That's in right. in the renaissance and yeah. so the similarity so almost immediately the turkey was uh, adopted in european cuisines which is unlike so many other uh, american foods that took so took hundreds of years before they were adopted
2: well they would breed quickly and easily
1: they bred and, quickly yeah. and easily unlike peacocks which were very difficult to um, raise and 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 very quickly they became an important part of of european cuisine in 1550 they they are less expensive than chickens on the mm-hmm. london market at christmas time and because they're larger than chickens they obviously provide more meat and, well that's uh,
2: just it they're a big bird that could feed a lot of people and you know what, economical right I read when I was doing the research for for the show. Um, I did read your book. Oh, reread your reread your book. There'll be a quiz later <laughs> right. on. Um, that actually, that the the, uh, the explorers and uh, people who came over were, were they demanded of them England and other countries to bring back uh, equal numbers of of male and female turkeys. So they could start breeding them.
1: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, the Europeans looked at this and said, this is one of those uh, great finds. Uh, Again, because it looked like the peacock. I mean, Uh that's the strange part of the story. So um, it was very quickly, within a matter of 30 years from the time that it was uh, discovered Uh by Europeans, quote-unquote, um, it was a table part of, of European cuisine, and, and that's an incredible story. And
2: start. yet, you know, it's interesting because uh, in a lot of, the, you mentioned the Renaissance, and in a lot of the uh, table spreads and the, and, the, and the beautiful displays, one sees stuffed peacocks and stuffed swans. I don't recall ever in any of the, the um, old books seeing a stuffed turkey feathers and all.
1: Oh, I don't know about the turkey feathers. I mean, that was feathers tip-
2: were used. I know feathers were valuable. Fe- right?
1: Feathers were used for a variety of purposes, yeah. but but historically, it was the peacock with the male feathers. Then they would they would cook the peacock. No. They would they would remove obviously all the feathers first, and then they would take the peacock out of the oven. Then they would they would sew the the, the peacock's feathers back on. It's kind of then, disgusting. Then, but <laughs> then they would walk out. I mean, well, food is a display. and swan and the swans. Too. The swan's, swans the same thing. Do, yeah. I mean, the peacock and swans were. I mean, Part of eating is—it's a performance, and it's—it's not just you know gobbling up calories that uh, so many of us think of food today. Right. So historically, that was it, and that was um, at least how the turkey fell into uh, becoming an important part.
2: You mentioned that they—that the Mexicans were the first to start domesticating these birds, but I mean they weren't—they weren't breed—they weren't domesticated as they didn't breed particular types, did they? I mean, which, what are we talking about here? How many breeds were there in the Southern Americas? Uh,
1: Well, this gets a little confusing because there were two different species of turkeys. One, the oscillated Oscillated, turkey, uh, which does not um, cohabit the same territory as the the turkey that we know and love. Um, It is in um, southern Mexico and uh, Central America, and that's the small area that it does. The the turkey that we know and love actually had um, six different uh, breeds that were uh, common throughout north, from from southern Canada all the way through uh, Florida. So they were very common through all the way down to Mexico. So they were relatively common, but they they are different. You you would not um, look. Look at a, at a turkey today and, and think about what they would have looked like historically. Now, again, historically, the, the many of the turkey varieties were larger than the domesticated version at the time. So you had
2: 60-pound wild turkeys. <laughs> we're talking serious turkey here. I have seen some big ones up in the country, and I'll tell you about the damage one did to <laughs> the side of my car. <laughs> but that was a big bird. But, yeah, I, 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 I was amazed at that. The domesticated birds were a lot smaller. Hmm.
1: And that, well, initially they were smaller, and then obviously uh, over 500 years they were bred larger, so that now
2: so you could have those butterball breasts. Now, we, now,
1: yeah, well, that's an interesting part of the story too, in that uh, for whatever reason, uh, Americans in particular like white meat, and and to me, I don't understand that because it doesn't have as much flavor as the dark meat right. does. Right. But um, the, the white meat came in for a, a lot of simply because it was it added weight to it, and you could make a little more money on it. But in addition to that, then you had this health-conscious America that comes along and said, "White meat has
2: less fat and less calories, right. and right.
1: Uh, it has less taste." But uh, that's not mentioned when they start advertising it. So.
2: Well, it certainly um, was an interesting bird recipe-wise, too, in throughout history. But we, re- as much as it was part of the Europeans' tables, oh, there's really not that much evidence of it in writing until much later than what it first appeared on tables from what I read and I think some of it referenced in your book but it was a long time ago you probably don't remember um I think some of the earliest recipes were were probably not until um, maybe the late fifteen six early sixteen hundreds. Bartolomeo Scappi had he had recipes. Uh, the, the, I mean, the work. turkey
1: doesn't enter into Europe until uh, fifteen twenty at the earliest possible mm-hmm. possible time, and, uh, and there's no evidence for it for another uh, decade or so. So you really have something that very quickly uh, goes. It, it isn't s- something that's common for another. Forty or fifty years. Of course, from that Neither point were written on. cookbooks, huh? and neither were were cookbooks. Yeah. So people made, the, but they prepared it exactly the same way as they they would have done a swan or they would have done a, a large goose. So in one sense, you know, they just, lots of the recipes are <laughs> take the recipe for the goose and do the same thing for the turkey. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, so it's not not extensive, uh, but you certainly do have recipes in the in the seventeenth century that are common virtually in all all European
2: cookbooks, right? Um, because there was some mention of Catherine de Medici hosting a banquet serving 70 turkeys, but yet a recipe in France, it seems, did not appear until the late 17th century until Laverin put something in writing, um, even though they were widely used, and even in the royal courts, but... Talk about recipes. A lot of you said they did the same thing, but then there was a lot of experimentation with boiling them and and oh, they tried everything, raising them,
1: which was common. I mean, you did you tried everything with all the all of the uh, birds that you that you ended that ended up on your table. It's like, oh, and mom,
2: it's a- turkey again. <laughs>
1: Uh, and again, we're not dealing with a modern oven, and so right. it's, it's much easier to boil it. And the advantage of boiling a turkey, provided you got, I mean, remember the turkeys, domesticated turkeys, are smaller than they are, much smaller than they are today. The advantage was you ended up with a nice juice that you could make a soup out of, or you could make a stew out of, or you could add to a whole, you could. Use it as a gravy. I mean, you had a thousand things that you could do. Not with it. Not
2: unlike what we do.
1: Not unlike what we do today. today right. So yeah, what what we do today is a little more technically um, um, sophisticated, but it produces uh, all, the exact same the same types of dishes. Uh, whether they taste the same or not is another issue, but uh, they certainly are similar
2: pickled turkey now that was something that was you don't like uh, pickled turkey turkey? Well, (laughs) why not you pickle everything else why can't you pickle turkey there's no room in the refrigerator you might as well pickle it right
1: well (laughs) the problem is you've got a big turkey and um uh, if if it's just the two of you sitting down and having some turkey you're gonna have a lot of turkey left over and what do you do with that and so uh, they, they they developed all sorts of different things that they could do in order to uh, preserve it so it could be consumed at a future time and People like the taste of pickle uh, pickle uh, uh, food so uh, it it certainly is is culturally a part of a number of uh, culinary traditions and
2: uh, uh, well, the turkey itself um is has an interesting diet. It's pretty much an omnivore. Right? It's an
1: omnivore. It eats anything. And what's interesting about wild turkeys, if you go out and hunt them, they will. They taste very different depending on what they've consumed. Um, so um, they they tend to eat. Seventy percent of their diet tends to be vegetarian. What roots and nuts and anything else acorns, that they get acorns, chestnuts, anything, nuts, anything right? that they get get their beaks around. Um, and then the rest of it are insects, uh, worms,
2: and to. snakes and bugs. What's wrong with that? I mean, they provide a
1: service. You know? Well,
2: part of their popularity in in um, in growing the flocks too. Uh, um, in the when the colonies were established. Um, you mentioned were the tobacco farms.
1: Absolutely, because they ate the tu- they, they they ate what you think of as the tomato worm that goes on your tomato plants. Well, that's very closely related to the tobacco worm that goes on the tobacco plants. And so, consequently, um, you put the turkeys out there, and the turkeys d- didn't like the tobacco leaves particularly, but they loved they loved the worms. That's and so great. So you can just move your turkey herd right on through, and uh, by the time they're finished, they're very happy, they're smiling, um, and they've gained a little. Weight In the process on it, and your
2: tobacco is natural insecticide. Just bring in the turkeys, right? That's, I mean, that's great. And in fact, um, I I was learning a lot about turkey drives and and netting them that, that they didn't really. You know, like raise them so much as they just sort of kept them penned up, and they would do their own thing.
1: I mean, yeah, how do you move? I mean, before you have uh, trucks and uh, and refrigeration and things of that sort, how do you move tur- turkeys from the farms, which would have been miles away from cities, into the cities? And much to my surprise, both in England and in the United States, you had turkey drives, some of which, by the way, went went hundreds of miles. Wow. And, and, and the biggest turkey drive supposedly went 1,000 miles from uh, Iowa to Denver. It was somebody <laughs> who was taking his turkeys out there in order to breed them in in, in Colorado. And, and uh, the only way to do it is move it. But you get dogs, and the dogs keep the turkeys in line. The turkeys flock together. So, as long as you keep the turkeys going in the right direction, the problem and they is- don't
2: really fly i mean that much they fly they- i I've watched them. The wild ones fly. They don't fly too far.
1: Turkeys can fly. I just want you to understand <laughs> that, that wild turkeys can fly about a mile. They they are not aerodynamic. They go in a straight line and when they stop they don't move anywhere for a long period of time while they recover. <laughs> but they can fly. And um, of course with domesticated turkeys you clip their wings and make it so that they can't. And when, once the turkey gains, once you have breeding that produces much fatter turkeys then those turkeys can't fly
2: and of course they can walk really fast they can can trot yeah but they're
1: they're a very inquisitive bird and and i'm sure that you you've had exposure to them but
2: they'll come within 20 feet of you and just look at saying what the heck are you doing you know (laughs) and they usually run away pretty fast but when we get out there but um and and then again is their we all know about the turkey and of course kids love drawing pictures of turkeys and the and the gobble the gobbler the gobble underneath the waddle um part of what gave it its name
1: yeah well you've got to have we got to have a turkey so um supposedly uh, well uh, of course that isn't the name in other in other european languages uh, in other european languages the word goes pavo in spanish for instance which which is the same word for peacock. I know that's a surprise. Mm. Uh, but when it came to England, uh, how did the word turkey get there? And the answer is we don't know for sure. Uh, but, a
2: lot uh, of fairy tales. A out lot there. of fairy tales
1: <laughs> out there. Uh, some claim it was Turkey merchants from uh, that engaged in trade with Turkey, which I find hard to believe, but that's possible. Uh, but uh, there were other birds that were named Turkey at the time, and this just fit in with that, and they moved moved right ahead. Uh, but it I makes a the, sound too, and and some people claim that it was the sound that the turkey made that got or, its or, name. Or, or,
2: or. <laughs> I
1: didn't <laughs> quite hear that Italian personally. But the
2: Italian I don't uh, I don't think they made the sound tequino taquino well
1: um, e- each uh, culinary culture introduced it into its own context and um, where, where peacock was a, a, an important bird that that became the, the words that were used for describing the turkeys So, yeah.
2: I mean the but, dates obviously the dates um, of of the different explorers going back and forth um, busted the myth of, of a lot of as you say that you know the Turkeys, birds coming from Turkey. Well, no one had come from Turkey, or oh, there were turkey merchants. Turkey uh, merchants, uh, or Indi- or when Columbus came back thinking he was going to India, right? And, oh, did he really? <laughs> Uh, There's no evidence that he ever
1: knew that, I mean, all of the the accounts which have been greatly revised um, after his death, but there's no evidence that he actually knew he had arrived in a new world. So it's a fascinating story, and and it's a great story.
2: I had a Mexican chef and historian on um, uh, last month who said the turkeys, when they brought the turkeys back to Europe, they were so strange and foreign to them that anything foreign must have come from Turkey. So they would just give it the name Turkey. So there you go. It's another story. It's it's so
1: wonderful making up nice stories (laughs) to try to to say, why is it that this is the case? And the answer is we don't know for sure.
2: Well, we're going to talk about some of the fancier recipes that we don't see too much today that were on the menus in in Europe, particularly in the 1800s after we take a short break. Let's take a break. Hold some suspense.
0: You are listening to Burgundy by the Hollows.
1: This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane5.com.
2: Hey, my name is Betsy Andrews, executive editor of Severa Magazine and I am hanging out at the coolest, most delicious place in the world, heritageradionetwork.org. network.org. Okay, we're back talking turkey here, and that's that's kind of a funny phrase, too. We did we talked about the turkey trot, but turkey turkey's sort of gave lend their name over the period of of the several hundred years. Uh, first, as uh, an an exalted kind of thing, well, we're going to talk turkey, which was a very honest talk, right? I mean, Absolutely frank talk. But then, then, then all of a sudden, it got maligned, and someone who was a turkey was was talking about it. Didn't know what he was talking about. But
1: it, the turkey is such a funny looking bird. I mean, it. it it, is. <laughs> it really is, uh, and I'm sorry to defame uh, turkey appearances, but um, <laughs> you know it, it really does lend itself to. Uh, everybody knows what a turkey is, and everyone has seen one, and everyone um, looks at them and says, "Oh, that's really strange." And so, uh, consequently, that becomes very quickly a part of our uh, our, our common heritage of, of, of both fun and um, and serious things about turkey. And,
2: yeah. How and, can go? How how it can swing on both uh, ends of the scale though it's it's amazing
1: ben Ben franklin did write a letter when he heard that the bald eagle had been selected as the symbol of america Uh, he did write a letter saying you really should have that's that's the symbol of european nobility the bald eagle what you really the eagle was so what you really need is a symbol like the turkey which is a real (laughs)
2: american
1: bird i don't I think he was serious when he wrote the letter, but uh, I'm kind
2: of glad they stuck with. The yeah, eagle, right? I don't
1: think that would have the same image on top of an American flag as uh, as an eagle, as, right? as an eagle would.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but we were talking about how um, it was an it was an exalted dish sometimes it, to be on it banquet started, tables. Started right? to begin yeah. absolutely. And stuffing, stuffing trigger. I mean, there were some pretty fancy methods of preparing the stuffings, too uh,
1: By my count, there's at least uh, I, I ran into at least a thousand different recipes for, for stuffing Wow! So, uh, there, it depended on whatever you had locally So, um, if you're in the United States and you've got cornbread in the south well, then you stuff it with cornbread and if you've got a lot of extra bread in the north then you put it normal bread and if you've got uh, oysters. oysters and you're in the seacoast, then you stuff it full Of oysters, I mean. There's the the real advantage of the turkey is there's a huge space, and and you can put virtually anything in there. And uh, a, a Renaissance dish, which. Uh, ends up in New Orleans, and as the famed turducken is, uh, you got a you got a turkey, and you, you put in a chicken, and you put in a, uh, a smaller bird inside that, and you have all deboned, and then you cut them up. I, I mean, that is a, a a tradition that goes back five hundred years. So mm. lots of things that you can do, and of course. Um, when when the turkey was at its high point in terms of prestige, you would put a little truffles inside. Make little it. truffles. We're, I mean, we're talking serious.
2: We're talking lots of truffles. Yeah, I mean, the, a- the, the
1: the American recipes that have truffles in them, I'm not sure that they're real truffles. I wonder whether they're just. You know, some other product that they called truffles. I, yeah, I never, I never could figure that out because it would seem to me that the cost of real truffles would have to have been imported from Europe, would have been beyond anybody's right. ability to pay for it.
2: I think there was some European uh, presentation that was, I guess, must have made history of how much, how many truffles or how you know were used in there. But then nuts, dates, fruit, as you said, all kinds of the whatever berries. You on hand.
1: Berries make a really. Delicious stuffing, so uh, you can add all sorts.
2: Okay, so how how did it boot out the goose on the English table for for Uh, Christmas?
1: Well, the goose, of course, remained a part of uh, English uh, Christmas traditions, and uh, as England. Uh, did not celebrate Thanksgiving the same way that Americans uh, celebrate Thanksgiving. It, it was the big meal, and for uh, the goose cost a lot more
2: than the turkey did. And
1: the turkey I mean, a Christmas
2: goose was was a prized dish. I a mean, Christmas was- goose
1: w- was and continues to be a prized dish in England, but the turkey is a, g- a great substitute. It costs much less, and, and it's voluminous, and you can feed a lot of people with it. And so um, the turkey in England is certainly a, a common... Uh, Thanksgiving um, uh, centerpiece, so so that remains. In America, it gets more complex, because you you serve a turkey at Thanksgiving, which, by the way, did not come, uni- did not become universal until the late 19th century. It was certainly on the Thanksgiving menu, but there were a lot of other things on the Thanksgiving menu uh, prior to that time. Um, uh, it, 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 it will totally replace virtually everything else. So. Well,
2: we didn't even go there as far as talking about you know the first Thanksgiving. I mean, what? everyone has these these pilgrim notions and the first Thanksgiving and but and I, the turkey.
1: I love that story. It's a Total <laughs> myth, and, and we repeat it over and over again. And and people don't really care about what really happened
2: or what didn't happen. No, it's a nice story too. It's a nice story. A I
1: learned three. it in grammar school, and I just want you to know on just before thanksgiving I, I we always dressed up as pilgrims and indians i wanted to be the indians so <laughs> I, because they had the bows and arrows and i thought those were really cute to be able to hit a couple of people with the rubber tips on them so <laughs> and they were for
2: the turkeys remember those are for the turkeys. what's what's okay. a turkey what's a turkey yeah.
1: well but there's um but really the turkey itself it's it's inexpensive and it feeds a lot of people and and the thanks what's impressive to me about Thanksgiving is it's the one real family holiday. It's not religious and it's not uh, political as the day that uh, right. m- many families get together, that uh, many other holidays that would not be the
2: case, and because it is so economical and feeds a lot of people, it ended up on the on as we said before on the Christmas dinner table as well. Well,
1: but the problem is if you have turkey at Thanksgiving and and you've got um, uh, you know a, a, a month later you've got
2: uh, you uh, Christmas leftovers. and you <laughs> still have
1: leftover, it gets a bit much. So indeed. I, indeed, I I think in America the the Christmas turkey is less important than. It is in England
2: well we were talking about different menus um, and different recipes for preparing turkey and interesting I ran across this um, this group in the late 19th century um, it was a Parisian group called the Constitutional Association uh-huh. and they their their mission was to promote good cooking so they were really uh, praising the braised turkey oh. Braised turkey. Which had been kind of talked about, but then Malign said, no, 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 one must roast it. But they tried braising it, but that, but they really pushed for the braised turkey. And I have to say, it's interesting because in the 20th century, so it must have been around 1998 or so, Jacques Pepin and Julia Child
1: presented recipes they, for the braised turkey. They were turkey.
2: pushing braised well, turkey. I have to say it was, it's really, really good. We all, I mean, we all know how to follow
1: uh, butterball directions to, to right. put our, our, Christmas, our, our Christmas or Thanksgiving turkey in the oven and do that. But sometimes you want some variety and diversity, and, and particularly for those of us who like to eat turkey year-round. You, right. you don't just have to Not eat Relegated
2: it to the holidays. And right.
1: so um, lots of ways of, of cooking it and preparing it. And personally, I absolutely love the deep fried turkey now Aha. it's a toughie um to make and it's, it can be dangerous yes, but at the yes. same same time it's absolutely delicious
2: it's better to have an outdoor space and one of those you need
1: an outdoor a space, special space. turkey yes. fryer and right. follow directions properly <laughs> and have a have a fire extinguisher yeah. close by
2: but it makes it fun people do you know do get to experiment um, now I did mention that uh, turkeys being a commodity and certainly a big business, in fact, a multi-billion dollar a multi-billion dollar business. business absolutely true. Um, and I, I didn't mean to malign butterball turkeys. We all grew up with butterball turkeys, they and they were on every table. But what was happening is we, they, the turkey farms, as we know, some of them are just not that uh, clean a practice. But we were also losing some of the heritage breeds.
1: Yes, the heritage breeds. Uh, basically disappeared about uh, 50 years ago when uh, the broad-breasted white turkey became the dominant one from a commercial standpoint. And 99.9% of the turkeys that Americans consume are broad-breasted whites, which the Butterball is, and, and virtually all of the other commercial varieties that we find in our uh, supermarkets. But uh, what was really great is slow food uh, came along a, about a decade ago our started, own
2: Patrick Martins and started
1: okay. preserving uh, the the heritage breeds which were common in America but and farmers di- didn 't mind raising them, but the question was how could you raise them and still uh, sell them and they 're not as big as butterball turkeys and they're not they're not uh, uh, you know they have lots of of uh, 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 they taste differently, and so you've got to you've got to become more familiar with them more but I think that's a great tradition. That it's right. now possible to, uh, in order to save the uh, heritage breeds, you need to eat them.
2: And they're becoming more affordable. They, it was um, expensive to to buy a heritage turkey. Um, and
1: you can a get, heritage
2: breed because they we obviously took more effort to. And you to can re- get them,
1: them, and within a day or two, you can have them delivered in your home. There so, you go.
2: Yeah. You go. Um, so a lot of the breeds, the the bourbon, the bourbon reds, and the and. Uh, What are some of the others?
1: There's literally uh, hundreds of different historical uh, breeds, but they're alive and well, and I think that's a wonderful story that hasn't been told uh, and needs to be told more.
2: Yes, and uh, we have actually, I did have Patrick Martins on. Um, He is the founder of Heritage Foods USA and of the Heritage Radio Network. And indeed he introduced slow food to America, and he has done quite a job in supporting small farmers who are reviving these breeds and and We did talk about heritage breeds often of turkeys. And I
1: wish him and the farmers all the best
2: right, right because it is as you say it's it 's very important, and it 's interesting to to taste you 're still not going to taste what a wild turkey tastes like wild turkey is is you know that but Um, But a heritage breed will be interesting Not your butterball for sure Right Um, Well as we are doing this uh, show Just prior to Thanksgiving Let's just give a little nod to the real story Oh the real real story. story Oh gosh I know we have talked about it in previous shows And I think you've been on talking about it with me before But hey it's a new audience today tell us a little bit about what really happened on that first well or when it became when it actually became officially thanksgiving
1: well the official thanksgiving is not until 1863 and it's uh, president abraham lincoln who declares it to be a holiday uh, he did so um, largely at the urging um, uh, Sarah Josepha Hale, who happened to be a magazine editor, a New Englander who loved Thanksgiving and who wrote about it. And she, as far as I know, she was the first woman to write and publish a novel in the United States. Uh, which uh, was a, a story about New England, and, and part of that was a whole chapter on what a New England Thanksgiving was all about. And she describes how they went for weeks in advance doing the preparation and, uh, and then discussed each of the foods that were in there. But she fell in love with that, and she was the editor, She became the editor of Gotti's book, which right. was by far the most important Women's magazine, and probably
2: one of the first cooking journal, cooking magazine. Well, or or
1: it had food in it. Home uh, shelter magazines, fashion. I mean, it was a whole series of other things. But it was, I'm, I'm sure, it was probably the largest selling magazine in America at the same time too. I mean, it was huge. And so um, she began her campaign in the um, 1840s, trying to make uh, each state declare the fourth uh, uh, Thursday in thank in uh, November as Thanksgiving Day, and she almost succeeded in 1859 when 30 states did so, mm-hmm. uh, but then the Civil War came along, and so she decided n- she's not really going to make much progress during the Civil War. So um,
2: yeah, the Southerners weren't too, too they were over, overly <laughs> excited
1: about it for a whole series of reasons even before the war. But um, so um, she decides that we needed a holiday in the in the fall. Now again, remember there are only two national holidays at, in 1863, and the First, uh, uh, was of course the Fourth of July, but the second was Washington's birthday, now, <laughs> n- now kind of celebrated as President's Day, a uh, school holiday. Uh, whatever, it's a Monday in <laughs> okay. February, and that's it. But there was no there was no national holiday in the fall. Uh, Christmas would not be declared a national holiday until uh, 1870. So her her attitude was: you needed a holiday in the fall, and and having this family holiday that was non-religious uh, was something very important. So it is her effort to do that. No discussion of the pilgrims, no discussion of, of the first Thanksgiving um, until after it's declared a um, national holiday. And then the Civil War happens and you've got a problem. You've you got all these immigrants coming in. And the question is, how can you tell them a story of, of America? How can you tell that America... Founding and so
2: they are the story, <laughs> but yes, no, but that's another. <laughs> that's that's another an important story. part of the story.
1: Right. But I mean, uh, the Pilgrims in Plymouth were not the first European colony. And what's the day? of The United States, Jamestown, was the first English colony. And if if any credit, it should have been to Jamestown. But Jamestown is a southern uh, place, and so right after the Civil War, that's not in Jamestown is where slavery began. That's not in, um, and the the Pilgrims did have a nice uh, dinner in the fall of eighteen. Uh, 18- of, of uh, 1661 with with Native Americans. There were 50 pilgrims. There were 90 Native Americans. Um, and uh, the Native Americans took a look at what the pilgrims were eating and said, we'll go out and get you some food. <laughs> and they went out and got some deer and, and may or may not have had turkey. Turkey would have certainly been available and they could have consumed it, but there's no evidence right. for it. Right. So that event was not remembered. It, wasn't, it was forgotten. It was not considered Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was uh, celebrated in the Puritan um, and Separatist religions, but it was a day of church and it would not have been a day of doing frivolous activities like cooking and things Mm -hmm. like that.
2: Oh well, I kind of like those hats with the big buckles and the shoes with the big buckles. All and the, mythical, <laughs> right? And, the, and uh, those
1: are images yeah. that were created on, uh, like Saturday Evening Post, and, and yeah,
2: once again, right? Uh,
0: right.
1: Uh, uh, images that all of us think of um, and uh, and are so different than the reality of what uh-huh. the pilgrims really like. Uh, yeah. And Plymouth Plantation is a great place to visit. It is,
0: know, and
2: pl- there yeah. does exist a Plymouth Plantation. In fact, I had Sandy Oliver on a couple of years ago talking about the um, the early Thanksgiving dinners. I and love was, Thanksgiving great. Thanksgiving
1: is my favorite holiday uh, day itself and my favorite holiday meal. So,
2: Well, if you are hearing this in real time, we wish all of you a very happy Thanksgiving. And I'm sure there's going to be a stuffed turkey on your table. And I wish you good eating. And thank you, Andy Smith. As always, it's been a pleasure. Full of information. I need to get 10 more shows out of you, at least, by the end of the year.
1: I was I was <laughs> hoping you'd ask.
2: And don't forget about the National Geographic Eat, the story of food Tomorrow, starting November on November 21st Bye. on National Geographic Channel. And hopefully ever after we'll be able to source it somewhere, Netflix or something. Uh, but for now, it's all about radio, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, and this has been A Taste of the Past.